I created a you know profile and I wrote a blog and I hit send and it just said look I just don't know what I'm doing but this is how it is for me and you know I've never lost my driving license I've got two lovely children I've got a husband you know I don't really know what's going on but I know that that I can't go on anymore so anyway I, t- I sent this blog out and in the morning I woke up and I checked it and about I had about eight responses saying don't worry we get you you're like us you know I know it's like that so just and then just come back tomorrow just keep checking in you know you're not alone and honestly I felt like I'd been thrown a lifeline and it was like okay this is it game on welcome to the tribe this is your weekly podcast from tribe sober whether you're already sober striving to be sober or just plain sober curious you need a tribe you need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 135. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. And in fact, from next Saturday, I'll have to start remembering to say over the last seven years, because next Saturday, Tribe Sober is seven. We're offering a birthday discount of 20% off our Kickstart online course and or annual membership. Just go to tribesober.com to book and enter the code BIRTHDAY2022. Valid from now until the 16th of November. And our next group workshop is coming up on November the 12th. Just four hours on Zoom. We limit these groups to 15 people, so everyone gets a chance to share and participate. There's still a couple of spots left, so just go to tribesober.com and hit services to read more about our workshops. My guest this week is the founder of Love Sober. She's an author, a sober coach, and a podcaster. She founded Love Sober with Mandy Manners to support women who are concerned about their drinking. She works hard to raise awareness around what women need to not only get sober, but to stay sober and to love being sober. I've just finished reading her awesome new book. It's called Your Sober Year. You'll hear more about that during our conversation. So I began by asking Kate to introduce herself. Yeah, my name's Kate. <laughs> I live in West Sussex in the UK. So I live in between London and the coast in Brighton. I feel like I'm a bit of a Brightonian at heart, really. But I, I've, I do love the countryside. I've moved inland a little bit. Uh, I have two children. I have, I live with my husband and my two kids who are now, they're teenagers now. Um, can't believe it. My, my youngest has actually just gone to big school. So that's quite a, quite a transition. And I have a dog, guinea pigs, who are free range. They run around the garden and uh, three chickens. So that's the domestic setup. And what I do for a job, I uh, co-founded Love Sober, which is a community interest company with Mandy Manners. Um, I am a sober coach, well-being and sobriety. Um, and I specialise, I suppose, in the grey area of drinking and midlife uh, coaching. So around perimenopause, menopause and all the stuff, you know, of being carers and parents and then yeah. our parents getting older and us going through that transition, which is a lot. And so I, um, yeah, I work, most of my clients are in that area. And I'm an author as well. So I've authored two books, co-authored with Mandy. And the last bit that I do is I actually train other coaches with a program that we wrote around addictive behaviours. So that 
early intervention around addictive behaviours. Wow, busy woman. (laughs) (laughs) And you spoke to me about retiring to South Africa and I was like, yay, that's what I want to (laughs) do. Although I'm very busy. I'm sure you're really busy as well. There's no such thing as retirement, is there? Let's face it. So yeah, um, (sighs) your book, I must congratulate you on that, Kate, because I've just finished reading it and I I love the whole concept of it. But we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So I gather that, like me, you had a bit of a drinking career. It can't have been a, as long as mine because you're much younger than me. <laughs> but let's hear about it anyway, please. It was, it was kind of game of two halves with me. It looked fairly typical and normative drinking in our British heavy drinking culture. It was, you know, began in my teens, my late teens. I was quite a good, you know, I was in in bubble quotes, a very good girl. And that covered a lot of underlying, I would say, stress, mental health stuff, you know, struggling to be a teen in the 80s. It was, you know, it's quite, it was, it was tough. We had a few things going on in our family too. Yeah. And so it, it, it looked pretty normal. I would say that I drank too cover social anxiety like a lot of teens do and I actually I have a big clue that I was going to develop a drinking career as you say two clues one was a generational piece in that my father was a very uh, heavy drinker and died of alcohol related issues later on in his life so there was that there, which is, you know, the big red flag, big red flag, you know, doesn't always define us, but, you know, it's, we know it's a contributing factor. And the other thing was that I remember the first time that I actually was quite drunk was, it was at my brother's engagement party. And I remember going to the loo and looking at this hideous wallpaper and just thinking, I feel better, I feel happy, oh, I am drunk. And it was literally like the connection. I would say it's like the connection as big as the M1 neural pathway was built at that moment between my, you know, feeling better and drinking and calming down that anxiety and using it to regulate, using it to soothe anxiety, you know, all of the stuff. Well, I didn't have any of that, you know, awareness at the time, as we don't. So then fast forward to uni, I was, you know, the same as the rest, you know, binge drinking at the weekends. In my 20s, I say it ramped up because I discovered wine. And this was the 90s. This was like, you know, the wine, the wine bar kind of revolution in in England where, you know, a lot of the, the apparently the wine lake of Europe got shifted over to England and they did a big marketing campaign. So, you know, whereas before we were maybe, you know, bought more beer more grains um, it certainly became very popular and available and very aspirational and obviously that hit the women so yeah. I was part of that I mean really the the success that the alcohol industry had targeting us ladies you know just that period yeah. you talk about so we think that drinking wine is some kind of aspirational lifestyle choice and it's yeah. it's shocking really the way that we've been manipulated and I get quite angry now when I look back <laughs> I do too yeah it's you can see it all laid out can't you yeah from a kind of yeah a kind of a culturally normative point of view and then you have your own personal story going along and I definitely know that, that that was helpful to me when I stopped drinking was to look at things from that cultural perspective. I remember actually, this sort of fast forward again, I was a journalist and I remember writing, I, I actually quit in 2013, I think, 2014, but I wrote a piece for the Daily Express anonymously for the health pages in about 2007 about drinking and about my drinking and, and me questioning it and saying, I think the UK has a drink problem. If I was talking about this, about anything else, smoking, I would be supported 100%, but I just get yeah. told not to worry yeah. and uh, don't yeah. make fuss. Wow, so you had, you had a that, big insight right? there, didn't you, in 2007? So you, mm. you knew. That- I did know, but I didn't have the tools. Mm. I didn't have the tools and I didn't have... It wasn't reflected back anywhere, I don't think. So anyway, fast forward again, like, you know, I always balance this kind of, you know, 
I felt I, my my diet was healthy. It was that 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 big paradox. It was like I'm healthy. I want this to fit into my adult life, and yet I had that faulty off switch. And I knew essentially. I knew deep down that I was using it to cope. And when I tried to stop, my anxiety would ramp up, and I would feel unable to cope. So when I became a mum, this really you know accelerated the reality of it and the ability to kind of say that this is okay for me it was becoming the disparity was becoming too big and the hangovers were dreadful um the shame and the guilt you know of of using it and then not being able to function the next day with small children you know, and it wasn't all the time, like so many of us, it wasn't, I worked hard at this point, I was working really hard to kind of not do it, you know, to moderate, count units, I was seeking help from, you know, going to the doctor and going, I don't think this is working, you know, and then getting sent off to some inappropriate service who told me to count units even more and reduce my intake, and actually it's almost like at this point I needed permission to stop I need someone to yes you don't have to be a rock bottom end stage Mm. to make that choice and for it to be a really important choice for you to make it's almost like everyone at that point 10 years ago was still operating on that narrative that you you there was no support and no awareness until you reach some really dreadful stage and it was dreadful internally, like you know the yeah. the wrestling with myself. It was it was it was becoming very negative. So yeah, that that was that was the kind of drinking career, you know. Loved it and hated it like so many of us. Tried yeah. to keep it in my life. Tried to used it for to try and soothe and regulate and light me up and rewards and socialize. You know, it became the. It became the the one tool in the toolkit, I'd say, you know. Yeah, you're, you're so right when you say that the advice around us is all about just cut down. You know, no, mm. hardly anybody, any of the professionals anyway, say you've got to quit this stuff. You know, that's the way forward. Mm. And even I was looking at Drinkaware the other day. Oh, no. Do you know that yeah. website? Oh, yeah, they're sponsored by the beer industry. And they, they've got all these units and they're very nice. You know, you can get a, a grasp yeah. straight away of what the so-called low risk limits are, which, of course, are zero. But, you know, they say yeah. they are this. And it's almost like they want you to keep trying to moderate and keep failing and keep moderating and keep failing. They're not, think, they're not uh, um, addressing the the core no. issue. It's keeping the narrative going that drinking is normal. Yeah. And therefore we're trying to, rather than ever asking the question about whether we should, you know, could be doing it or not. <laughs> I know, I know. And yeah. if there's one thing I've learned, I mean, I'm sober about the same length of time as you. And it's one thing that I say to people, you know, it, it's so much easier just to quit the stuff than to try and moderate, you know, you... Yeah. You don't hear, although I did interview someone for the podcast that's coming out on Saturday and and she was a heroin addict and she said that she went to rehab because she wanted to learn how to just take heroin on a Friday night. (laughs) So it's not just us drinkers. No. It's everyone's dream, isn't it, to be able to control these addictive substances. People don't like to look at it through that lens it's like because it's the legal expected accepted yes. multi-million pound and it, but when you put it through that lens like you said of oh I'll just I'll only take heroin on a, a Friday night it looks really different doesn't it <laughs> it's like you and then you say to your friends oh I've stopped taking heroin and they say oh fantastic good on yeah. you but you say I've stopped drinking wow I think that's another idea we need sober communities just to make us feel normal because when I was, you know, really suffering and I knew that I had to stop, but I had no idea how, I would, you know, talk to people and, and they would always say to me, but just cut down, Janet, just drink a bit less and you'll be fine. And, and when people aren't dependent on alcohol, they've got no idea how impossible that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so true. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Did you have a rock bottom or when did you decide? Tell us about the moment. There were two stages because actually I I did stop for a year and then I started again. 
which is really important in terms of what I do in the area that I work in now and the kind of books that I write because it's all about having the toolkit and I and I didn't I I didn't have the toolkit woke up three o'clock in the morning I had the the kids were asleep obviously my husband had been uh, you know in in London working late I think I don't I think he was home that night and I'd been decorating and I always thought, oh, I like decorating, but I didn't. I like drinking um, beer when I decorated. But, you know, it's almost like that's what you do, right? You tell yourself these things. Yeah, so. yeah. I talked to a lady the other day that always thought that she loved cooking. But <laughs> since she's got sober, she realises she, <laughs> she hates cooking. She hates it's just because she always had the wine. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I was doing this decorating and I realised that I didn't have any beer and someone had bought me this revolting bottle of taboo. I didn't even know what taboo was, but anyway, this thing. But it was better than nothing, right? Yeah, so anyway, I drank this this bottle of taboo and I just woke up at 3am in the morning I had the palpitations had the sweats so again I was you know waiting till the kids were in bed but it was just awful I logged on um, and just entered am I an alcoholic into google for about the millionth time and sober easters came up it was the first thing that I'd seen ever that didn't really scare me that wasn't it looked like, you know, it had a picture of a flower on a woman that I could relate to. And it said, look, you want to live life in control. It's positive. It wasn't scary rehab talk that, that terrified me. And so I blogged for the first time. I went, OK, I'm going to do this. I created a you know, profile and I wrote a blog and I hit send and it just said, look, I just don't know what I'm doing but this is how it is for me and you know I've never lost my driving license I've got two lovely children I've got a husband you know I don't really know what's going on but I know that that I can't go on anymore so anyway I, t- I sent this blog out and in the morning I woke up and I checked it and about I had about eight responses saying don't worry we get you you're like us you know I know it's like that so just and then just come back tomorrow just keep checking in you know, you're not alone. And honestly, I felt like I'd been thrown a lifeline and it was like, okay, this is it, game on. And that was it. I stopped for a year like that. Read all the books. My goodness, those first few months, you know, just the sheer muscle power of memory and habit change and breaking all the connections between the patio and the socialising and the stress and the wine o'clock and all of that, that just... but. But it felt exciting as well. It was hard, but I was like, okay, I'm plugged into a community. I can do this, right? But like I said, I then went back to drinking after a year. Now I know that there's actually, it's quite common to do that in terms of the addictive cycle because you have a dopamine dip just before you go into your second year of recovery, apparently. It's quite common. But it, it was basically all the bad habits started to creep back in. I was chronically stressed. I was exhausted. I had no boundaries. I didn't know about self-care. I actually had, I didn't know, I didn't call it trauma, but I had, I was dysregulated and I had trauma from a first childhood experiences. And, you know, I had this stuff that now I know about. So really that, that first year that you tried, Kate, you were maybe relying too much on willpower and not doing the kind of limiting belief and the deeper work. Yeah, It was exactly like that. And it was almost like that I was using my brain very well, but actually there was this sort of self-compassion. There was some, there was actually the sort of inner child reparenting work. A lot of things just triggered such enormous shame for me that that was very difficult. So I remember the next rock bottom is um, I tried to then moderate for about a year and a half, two years, do months at a time, five months at a time, go back. I just, it looked fine to the outside world. They were like, yeah, you've cracked it. You're only drinking once a month, not knowing all the the hell that was going on inside again. I'm trying to, to keep that up. So the last day one, touch wood, that I had... Yeah, I, I'd been out to my sister-in-law's 40th birthday and had drunk, gone to bed, was in London, had such bad anxiety in the morning, I couldn't get on the tube. It took me about 10 hours to get home because I couldn't get on the tube and I was trying to go on buses and I just felt utterly broken. Someone had said, oh, listen to Tara Brack's Reign of Self-Compassion. 
Anyway, I, d- I did this. I'd, I'd been on the beach with my family trying to get over this horrendous hangover, just looking at the people I loved the most in the world, feeling like a ghost, feeling like a shell, feeling just, I just didn't feel like I was there. And I went home and I listened to The Reign of Self-Compassion. I went through the, the stages of recognising, allowing, investigating, feeling it in my body. And then it said nurture this. this she said, right, and now you turn towards yourself and just say something like, it's okay, sweetheart. I've got you, it's okay. Anyway, it just broke me, floods of tears, and I just felt like a spark had been there. There was a connection. It was so profound. I was like, there she is. Oh my goodness. Like For the first time ever, when I had been in pain, I'd found a way to connect with myself and comfort myself. So it's okay. And I went around through to uh, my husband and I said, I know why I don't drink. I know why I can't drink. I know what it is. I, know, I understand it. And he was like, okay, okay, what is it? I said, when I drink, it causes a disconnect in me so profound, I can't find myself for about a week to even comfort. I can't find her and I can't do this anymore. And he went, I think you're right. I, that makes sense to me, Kate. I think you're right. And that was it. That was last day one, touch wood. Um, but it, it felt, yeah. it was that, it was, that was the moment. So whether that's a rock bottom or the... The moment no, of it's connection. A major insight, isn't it? No, we have to to learn to love ourselves. Mm. You know, I I saw something. It was supposed to be funny on on sober on uh, social media, but it said uh, we should talk to ourselves with the same love that we talk to our pets. You know? Yes. <laughs> when I think of what I say to my dog, you know, I don't talk to myself no. quite in that tone. But it's oh, it's so quite true. a thing, isn't it? When you realise that it's it's yeah. about that. Tell us about the first year that time. We heard that the first year, the other time was a bit about willpower. Yeah. And this time was much deeper beginning, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, this was like, okay. I mean, I had to recover my balance. I had to go baby steps again because obviously I was trying to build up this toolkit again, this scaffold for living. But this time I, I got heavily into self-care. I just... I mean, I'd been doing experimenting and learning a bit during the moderation period in between. I'd been trying and trying and testing and trying. And, and I'd actually studied the, I was doing, having some coaching. So I knew that a very forward looking, positive, respectful approach was very important. I didn't know that that's because I had the trauma there and I needed a trauma informed approach. I got heavily into self care. I did uh, Bex Weller's program, Sexy Sobriety, which was brilliant, you know, very sparkly, very fun and just enough each day to keep me, to get me through the next Christmas. That was good. I trained as a coach myself. I decided that I wanted to do coaching. So I had my sort of meaning and purpose. I blogged out instead of being on sober forums behind closed doors at that time, anonymously on Sober Easters, I did the blog, Love Sober. So I was out and proud yeah so I I, yeah the science of happiness lit me up because that was almost I needed that because on sober forums at the time it still was a bit like well you're an addict and you're in denial if you're not going to tell say that you're an addict at that point and I hated the language so I was like okay I need to I need some proof here and and the science of happiness was all those kind of brain it's all coming out of the labs of Berkeley and Harvard about tools for living and those really practical tools of awe, self-compassion, gratitude, connection. And then the science was going on in the brain and the nervous system. So I studied all of that and that was like, okay, this is so my jam. (laughs) But the foundation was I have to be alcohol-free to hear any of that. It's like that's the foundation. doesn't matter how much self-development I do. If I go back to drinking, that would all go. And I tested, yeah. felt like I tested it so many times. It was like, that. Oh, come on. It's just like, you, you can't educate yourself. There's no yo- amount of yoga you can do. That's the other thing I had, other yoga practice, which helped me regulate my nervous system. So it was like this, I don't know, I feel like I did a bloody PhD in how to just survive. <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> we deserve so, a PhD. I we do, we do. <laughs> how do we get and one? <laughs> how do we get one? Um, yeah, so I do. I just feel like I did a, I did a lot of learning, but it was all of, yeah, all of the tools, the tools for living, really. And then I just worked at it every day. 
in a joy in a kind of a joyful way you know like I'm going to be curious this isn't about trying to stay sober every day it's like how do I look after myself every day yeah yeah and then the rest will you know I'm thus the rest will follow if I've got those foundational bits in you're so right that approach is, is a great one because I remember when I first you know gave up drinking after a terrible rock bottom which I'll tell you about on your podcast but uh, I gave up but I knew I had to give up but I was so depressed about it I thought oh god this is going to be so kind of tedious but then you know obviously I went on my journey and found that it was far from tedious it was the opposite but we still these days you know we have people that work with us and they say oh you know I always remember one lady that came to a workshop and she said oh she said I'm so depressed I know that my life has now ended because I can't drink wine anymore. So you'll have to tell me how to stay off the stuff. But, you know, <laughs> I know my life is over. And she wasn't yeah. being dramatic. She was almost being truthful. Feel. Yeah. And I, I say to people now, just be excited. You know, yeah. sure, you're in for a tough few months, but then your life will change. You know, you have yeah. to invest the effort and the work. And then, you know, who knows what alcohol-free life mm. will bring you. I'm sure neither of us thought that we'd end up helping other people to be no. uh, to be sober after what we went through. And that's where community is so important, isn't it? Because those people further along, we need those yes. we need those guiding lights and we need hope. Yes. I do believe that because there's a lot of hope at the beginning. There's a lot of as a leap of faith. And you're just like, no, this feels hard work. This feels shit. This, I don't want to, I feel so uncomfortable in my skin at five o'clock in the witching hour, you know. And someone says, you know, if you just get through to eight o'clock, it, it will pass. And that yeah. was a revelation. I was like, yeah. you're, you're joking. I, did, I thought I was going to be stuck feeling like this forever. You know, in the dramatic drinking brain is like, this is it. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, actually, no. I just get through these transition periods or these sticky bits. You just, yeah, you need those people who can just go, actually, just stay stay with it. It's going to be okay. You do. You need people yeah. that have been there before and you been do. through it. Yeah. yeah. So if uh, you had to list your top three benefits of sobriety, what would you say? Top three benefits of sobriety. I feel like, going back to hope, I feel like it gave me hope again. I was starting to feel like, you know, and this is so sad, but I was starting to feel like at like 42 that it was just, I was on a kind of slow descent to the grave. Like there was nothing, I just had lost the sparkle and lost the joy of stuff. And sobriety gave me, it blew that wide open. I was like, I don't know what this is like. goes back to what you said. You know what drinking's like. Yeah, it's Groundhog Day, isn't it? (laughs) Groundhog Day, I've bloody done this. But I don't know what, this looks like and this can be a possibility so I think the sense of hope and possibility um, it gave me the second one oh you know just the the connection with myself and with others I didn't know those connections were broken until I got sober and realized how it felt to be properly connected with myself and my values and, and my um, and other people because I could show up I knew enough about myself. I wasn't people pleasing and hiding and doing that chameleon stuff that I was doing whilst, you know, when I was a drinker, I was just like, ah, kind of can't do that anymore. So you're going to get me warts and all. And that actually, that vulnerability means that you connect with people. So, so yeah, that's, that's awesome. And my third one, I know what it is. I have a kind of greater piece that knowing so it's okay to make mistakes and that it's that almost like that next right thing that I'm kind of aligned that I know that I'm not leaving home, if you know what I mean, so that all of my decisions, I will make mistakes, I'm not perfect, you know, I can learn, but I can repair if I do stuff, if I make mistakes, but essentially there's an integrity there and I'm aligned so there's yeah. a great peace that comes from that for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, being in aligned, as you put it, means that we're more in touch with our intuition and we mm. genuinely know, you know, what we should uh, be leaning towards, I think. Whereas when we're drinking, we're completely disconnected and out of touch. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, 
just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So let's talk about Love Sober a little bit. Um, you'd been sober for a couple of years and you met Mandy or had Mandy been a lifelong friend? Talk to us no, about that. We met on uh, we met on Soberistas as well. Um, so we had, I had set up a Christmas thread. I can't remember the timelines a bit dodgy for me as it is I am a menopausal woman and so generally I can't remember anything that's happened before yesterday we'll be patient with you (laughs) thank you (laughs) um so yeah I had I think so and I had was doing Love Sober as the blog which is 2016 so that winter I'd set up a, a kind of a thread on sobriety to saying, does anyone want to get through Christmas together? So Mandy was on that. She was returning to sobriety after a year as well because she'd gone back to drinking. And then she found my blog and said, do you want to do a podcast? She had been listening to American podcasts and said, look, I can't, I need a Brit one. I need the Brit voice, you know. Do you want to do one? I can't find one. And I was in this like, big expansion you know we'll go into the book in a minute I was like in that that spring summer like of my sobriety of like hell yeah I'm just gonna say hell yeah to all these things I was like okay fine I'll do a podcast with you so we started the the love sober podcast that was brilliant it was almost like we had it was our therapeutic as well um you know we got to process we got to process with each other and and affirm the decision to be sober so it was very much part of the recovery for both of us but yes it's true that I'm sure your conversations kind of affirmed that you were doing the right thing and 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 I find that I learn so much from people that I invite on the podcast as well so that's really nice just to learn from it because there is so much to learn we were saying we're due for our PhDs and I think we we probably learned so much (laughs) (laughs) and there is a lot of interesting stuff isn't there because it's psychology and it's science uh, there's a whole world out there in well, Soberland. That's it. It's. I think that's what's so amazing about this journey as well, that you start thinking it's a conversation about alcohol and then you realise it's a conversation about everything and what yeah. it is to be human. That's yeah. what I honestly think. And that's where, like you say, the neuroscience, and the, the, the nervous system, I trained with a woman called Irene Lyon. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's She's amazing and she she teaches the neurobiology of stress and trauma on the nervous system and how to rewire. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm cautious about saying, well, you can rewire in a certain amount of time. But essentially, it's about working with the nervous system. And once you go through that lens, I see it everywhere. Like you can see when you're activated, if you've gone into fight flight and you need to calm down. A lot of stuff with my clients is around transitions at the end of the day when you've been go 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 all day and they're wanting to come into a rest and digest state and more parasympathetic nervous system and that is incredibly uncomfortable so we drink over transitions yes yeah which yeah and and so yeah i i just find that that that, yeah it's it's just this incredible ever-expanding toolkit that you can and especially when you're an author and you've written two books so remind me the first one I'm sure I read it but what was that called it's love yourself sober that's right and now this one this one is great I love analogies and this is the you've already talked about the spring of your sobriety Mm. when you are Mm. hell yes you know to anything that everybody uh, suggested to you so talk yeah. to us a bit about how you've used the seasons to yeah. talk through this journey. The, the, the idea is that um, we wanted, I think what we've always done with Love Sober in the courses and the, and the books is, is focus on women. And this idea that things run on cycles, we are cyclical beings, started this kind of conversation and we started looking at and investigating and researching cycles the stages of change cycle where you go through um, pre-contemplation, contemplation, action, maintenance, and then reoccurrence or relapse. So there's all that moderation. I always say to people, it's not wasted. That was your contemplation period. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And we have to go through these cycles, don't we, that that of learning. So there was that. Then there was, um, there was the grief, you know, looking at the grief cycle, which then became the grief curve. There was, we looked at our menstrual cycles, you know, we looked at uh, the cycle of the day in terms of, 
you know, dawn, morning, through. And then we looked at the seasons as well. So once again, you know, once you start looking through a particular lens, you see it everywhere. So really it was like, well, how do we, what do we leave out? Because everything's cyclical. But we decided to pull together this kind of idea of sobriety. So some of that change cycle with the, they call it the panarchic cycle, which is this winter, spring, summer, autumn. Um, and spring, according to that, is exploitation. Then, and you know, huge growth. Then you go through to summer and that's about maintenance. Then you go through to autumn, which is about release. You see the trees shed their leaves and then you go through to winter, which is death and, and rebirth or rest. And we see that, you know, in mythology from million, you know, thousands of years. We see that in, you know, the life cycles of animals. And that's why they call it the panarchic cycle, because it's the cycles of nature. We mapped our cycle onto that and said, okay, well, in the winter, it's almost like our pre-contemplation. We have the blank, we've got the blank field that we talked about. We've got the empty field. We've stripped it bare. We know that something's got to change when we're starting from the beginning. And that feels like a winter. That feels like the death of something that's gone before, in our case, you know, alcohol. So then spring comes and that's like we restore and that's the kind of baby steps of starting to restore some foundational practices and that might be working for us. Our baby steps in sobriety, we're learning to get through the day. It's like the seeds of hope, you know, we're yeah. sowing seeds yeah. of our sobriety. We're starting to see the shoots of feeling better. Then we go to, through to summer and that would be the maintenance programme. And we call that the reigniting because at this point we're like, okay, we're adding in that maintenance bit. We're adding in lots of different tools. We're not trying to just get through the day. We might be ex going out more. We might be exploring different groups. We might be experimenting with self-compassion or, or whatever. You know, there's, there's that real big kind of whoosh of energy. But equally with that time, maintenance is about pressing the brake uh, pumping the brake and managing that energy because if we don't maintain and sort of m manage that energy we can do too much we can run before we can walk and then we can have a relapse or reoccurrence so that's that that bit so then we go into autumn which is okay we've tried a few things what don't we need because we have that shedding of things don't we we're like and we have that refining period of actually mm, I don't really want to hang out with that group of people anymore. That doesn't work for me. Or I don't, I've realised I don't really like running. I prefer to do yoga. Or I we, don't like we, cooking. <laughs> I don't like cooking. <laughs> I don't like decorating. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, and then we go into winter, which is then we also need to rest and we need to restore and we need to do nothing and we need to integrate so that's the integration bit the rest the rebirth so stop fallow period integration before we go through to our next cycle of growth yeah so i love it because no, it, it is idea. a it's a journey of self-discovery i, I tell is. people and it's a journey of growth and we would never have that self-discovery or growth if we carried on drinking we don't no. no, we don't. We go no. through miserable cycles yeah. instead of productive growth cycles. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it, it's great. And we were talking before I pressed record, but I love that vision of the farmer looking at his empty field and it's a bit empty and it's a bit sad, but he knows that things will be able to grow yeah. there. And that's how early sobriety should be, isn't it? We know that there's going to yeah. be flowers in that field and goodness yeah. knows what and there's else. like intentions isn't there there's there's ways to work with them I mean we've mentioned before that those kind of journaling the tools and it's almost like we wanted to capture the challenges the vibe and then the gifts of each season as well because I'm a real autumn person like I love the Hugo, you know that Danish art of happiness mm -hmm. the the hot chocolate yeah. the cozy socks the autumn leaves the colors and it's like if we manage the transitions if we manage the self-care because each season needs different self-care so there's actually yeah. a seasonal element so what worked in the summer we we want to carry on that curiosity and go well actually well what what will work in the autumn so if we can 
manage the transitions and the, and and adjust appropriately i guess it's like us about is in evolution isn't it yeah then we can really thrive in each yeah. season yeah and that, yeah. that's the idea with using using them as a as a, almost like a rich resource as well mm. yeah and I, I loved your sensory toolkit you know people can can dip in that when they they need some comfort when they need to soothe themselves mm. it's beautiful and FOMO uh, gets replaced by JOMO. That certainly yeah. happens to me. I was, oh yeah. my God, I don't have to go out all the time. <laughs> no, and it's about it's about having this toolkit and curiosity so that we know what we need, essentially. Because I was thinking about, I was writing my own bit of journey yesterday and I was thinking about the winter. I don't know why I was thinking about the winter and the, the autumn, but I was thinking about, you know, celebrate and hibernate, you know, and there's, there's two sides of the same thing of, of that season is tools to light us up and to help us connect socially and with the world around us but we also need tools to help us calm down and rest and restore yeah. so yeah. it's it is it's about I mean you know if this will be a bit of a hashtag don't get me started but I think <laughs> self-care is essentially self-leadership I really mm. do I think it's super empowering when we can meet our own needs and advocate yeah that's them. interesting and our needs are all different. You know, I, I talked to a doctor once and he told me that, you know, because we're all wired differently and the dopamine, etc. some of us drink because we're natural. Our dopamine is naturally a bit low. So we need, you know, to uh, yeah. just to spark ourselves up. And I'm definitely in that category. And then there's other people that are so kind of busy and stimulated all the time, they need alcohol to calm them down. So that's, yeah. that's quite interesting. So those two types of people would probably need different ways to, different ways. to, calm, yeah. to self-care, to calm yeah, themselves exactly, down. Yeah, exactly. They called um, alcohol is a, is a dirty drug because it hits all the neurotransmitters. So it will hit the, the GABA and it will hit the dopamine and the serotonin. It hits all of them. So that's, I think, probably why it's so sort of successful out there, yeah. really. You know. And it's a sledgehammer as well. I like that. It's a proper sledgehammer, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Who called, someone said, even before, when I was in my drinking days, said, wine is the special brew of the middle classes, he said. <laughs> so it's like, literally, it is like, hits like a hammer, and, but it's supposed to be so sophisticated. Oh, you know? I it's know. Not. We've, been, yeah. we've been conned, Kate. Yeah. We have. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at tribesober.com. That's janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. I love the journal triggers as well. Mm. Tell, tell me why you put those in. The intention and reflection is a very important part of living yeah, intentionally and staying connected to our self-care and our needs and our why. If I put it through the fluffy lens, the sort of, you know, my kind of touchy-feely lens, it's like, you know, it feels really good to sit with ourselves and to reflect and it's carving out time for ourselves. So it's important. But from a scientific point of view, it's like gathering intel. So if you set your intentions and then you reflect, you can work out what's working and what isn't. So it's, it's information to then adjust what's working and what isn't. And I think the more, you know, we get better, we get skilled, we don't have to be so, you know, we don't want to overdo it. So finding a, an intentional reflective practice that really works for you in terms of rhythms but I actually like to do it moon moon cycles so I set intentions on the new moon and I tend to reflect on the full moon I have a tiny little daily one where it's just like what three things have I done well today um, so so it depends what's onerous for you and what works for you but yeah, yeah so th these kind of just reflecting each month on how you want the season to go what might need to be different in your toolkit and then we put re uh, journaling prompts just for each uh, week whatever we're looking at that week it's just an opportunity to yeah to ask some deeper questions should you want to 
Yeah, I think that'll be so helpful because many of us, I mean, you and me, we both love writing. So it's never been a struggle to keep a journal. But for many people, you know, that I advise to keep a journal, they go, oh, well, I don't I don't know where to start. You know, I don't like journaling. And they so they need yeah. really need triggers, don't they? Yeah, it can be a little bit intimidating because I think we yeah. also remember when when we were, I don't know, in the teens. I don't know if kids do it these days, but we were it's like, dear diary. Yeah, I had a five-year diary with a lock on it. (laughs) (laughs) And there were so many moans. It sort of became synonymous to me with just moaning about stuff, which is fine. I think that's really good to have a moany sort of journal. I think uh, the morning pages are quite good for that, where you literally do freehand, don't you? And then you can just throw it away. But you can journal more intentionally just around prompts, a little bit more guided um, journaling. It can be really helpful and not so intimidating, overwhelming. Uh, And lovely to read back over. Mm, You can plot your progress. Yeah, yeah, you can really see see the journey. No, well, well done, Kate. It's so thank creative to have, to have thought of that. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And we do love it. I'm proud of that because I, I think it feels sort of practical and precious. So where can people get good. it? So if you're in the UK, it's sort of everywhere in all, you know, Waterstones, you know, online stuff. The Book Depository um, is also on Amazon. It will be released in America, so it is available in South Africa and Australia and New Zealand if you have listeners there. And if you're listening in from America, that will be from November, I believe, November the 11th. Fantastic. Just last question, really. Say someone's listening to this and they're back, you know, where we were in early 2000 and, I don't know, 14. And they know that they're in trouble, but they've no idea how to get started. What would you say to them? Apart from buying your book, of course. Yeah. I would say reach out and find a community that, that you vibe with. There's a lot, lot of communities out yeah. there. And get some of that sort of knowledge on board. I think those, the, for me, that was the, that was the beginning, yeah. really. Getting some of those real mindset shift books. I think focus on getting through the day and doing the mindset shift, whether you work with a coach plugging into a community and and just yeah getting some of that knowledge on board yeah we're so lucky with communities you know there's Mm. a a modern recovery movement isn't there I mean when I stopped uh, I went to AA because that's all that there was and hated it but there's so many online communities now so as you say you need to try several and Mm. and try one that that vibes with you and then stay on it I say to people actually yeah you don't even need to stop drinking. Just get on a community and listen and learn. Yeah. And and they'll see posts there, you know, that they'll see people struggling and they'll think, oh, that'll be me. But then they'll see people further down the road that are really inspired. I you know, totally I agree with that. Just community is everything. Yeah. Sorry, you I, were going to say something. I was going to say I have a course coming up that I would really of course. Um, like of to course. mention if that's mention all right. So thank you. So um, beginning on November the 13th, it's the Love Sober Life School, which is my three month group coaching program. So the idea is that we go through November, December, go through Christmas together, go through dry January, and it's daily content, video content, and weekly connection sessions with a group of women and myself, and uh, written by Mandy and me, but facilitated by uh, another coach as well as myself, who trained in Compassionate Inquiry with Gabal Mate. So we hope to hold space together and really go through the journey together. And that, again, that's like if you've got some sober time, it's not a quit quit program but if you've got a bit of that sobriety fatigue and you're looking for that next bit of personal development to make it stick thank you so much for the share and for the inspiration kate let's pull out some key points from that conversation kate shared her own struggles with alcohol She was always self-conscious, but determined to find a way to make alcohol fit into her lifestyle, even though she knew she had no off switch. She knew deep down that she was using it to cope. And in fact, when she did try to stop, she could feel her anxiety ramping up and she'd feel unable to cope. Like many of us, Kate found herself googling, am I an alcoholic at 3am in the morning? 
that Google search led her to a sober community. And once she'd plugged into a community, she felt like she'd been thrown a lifeline because it made her realise she was not alone in this and there were many other people out there just like her. Kate actually quit drinking for a year, but then she started again. And with hindsight, she can see that she just didn't have the toolkits. All her bad habits were coming back. She was stressed, she had no boundaries, and she was not doing any self-care. So we agreed that she'd achieved that first year of sobriety by using willpower alone, and she'd not done the deeper work of tackling her limiting beliefs and underlying trauma. Her mindset around alcohol had not really shifted, which meant that she still believed that it served her in some way. As we're always saying at Tribe Sober, there's so much more to recovery than not drinking. We have to do the work and build the toolkit to make our sobriety sustainable. And Kate explained that as we go into our second year of sobriety, we often have a dopamine dip which means that it's quite common for people to go back to drinking after they've been sober for a year. That fact underlines my experience that we really need a project to keep our happy brain chemicals triggered so that we can actually thrive in our sobriety and make it a permanent lifestyle. So Kate returned to drinking, but one day she had a major insight which changed everything for her. She realised that using alcohol was causing such a deep disconnect within herself that she couldn't find herself, she couldn't comfort herself or act with self-compassion. Like many of us, Kate had to learn to love and comfort herself. So this insight led her to his second day one, which was back in 2014, and she's been alcohol-free ever since. Her second attempt at sobriety was quite different. She got heavily into self-care. She did a sobriety program and lots of yoga. She trained as a coach herself to increase her own sense of meaning and purpose. Kate explored the tools of living, self-compassion, gratitude and connection. And she realised that her sobriety was actually the foundation of all of her self-development work. Although she had blogged in the past, it had always been anonymous, but this time she was out and proud and blogged about sobriety under her own name. I think it's interesting how we evolve from that aspect. Personally, I felt embarrassed and apologetic in early sobriety, dreading the questions and hoping that nobody spotted my alcohol-free drink. But these days I love talking about sobriety. It's a bit like the hashtag don't get me started that Kate mentioned. I'm now a bit like that joke. How do you know when someone is sober? Because they'll tell you within five minutes of meeting you. Just like me, Kate loves a reframe and came up with this awesome one. Instead of saying, how do I stay sober every day? Rather ask, how do I look after myself every day? We agreed on the power of a sober community and how we need to be reassured that yes, it really is worth all the hard work to get sober. People further down the road than us will inspire us and show us that yes, it's really worth it. Kate called those sober people the guiding lights. They can get you through the sticky bits by saying, oh yes, when I was at that stage, this is what helped me. Sobriety has enabled Kate to rediscover joy in her life. The sparkle is back. And her podcast has been part of her recovery, a way to process and affirm. We agreed that our years of sobriety have been an ongoing learning process, an ever-expanding toolkit, as Kate calls it. We're both from the UK and we discussed the rise of the wine bar in the 1990s and how there seemed to be a link between that and the wine lake, which had occurred due to overproduction of wine due to EU subsidies. The first wine bar in the UK was Davies, and that was launched in 1964, but gradually they became more and more popular. They were seen as sophisticated places for groups of women to meet for a glass of wine, women who would never normally go to a pub, 
and wine drinking was promoted as an aspirational lifestyle choice for women, a fact that makes us both angry these days, as we're well aware of the damage it's done to women's health. We all thought it was so elegant, but in fact someone said that wine is the special brew of the middle classes. And if you're not familiar with special brew, it's the can of extra strong beer that you often see homeless alcoholics clutching. And while Kate and I were ranting about the wine bars, we also had a go at Drinkaware. Drinkaware describes itself as an independent charity which aims to help people make better choices about their drinking. Drinkaware is actually sponsored by the alcohol industry and contains endless advice and pretty pictures about how to moderate, but not a word about how quitting completely is the healthiest choice and the only choice for people that have become dependent. Personally, I would spend hours on Drinkaware working out how many units I could drink, which of course just kept me trapped in the trying and failing to moderate for 10 whole years. Now, I love a good analogy, so Kate and Mandy's book called Love Your Sober Year was just up my street. What they've done is they've taken the seasons of the year and linked them to our sobriety journey. Spring is a season of huge growth. We're up for anything. Hell yes, that must be why our Sober Spring Challenge is so popular. We plant the seeds of hope and we start to see green shoots and feel better. Summer is the maintenance period, but Kate also calls this the reignite phase. Our sobriety should be a dynamic thing rather than static as we do the work and embark on a journey of self-discovery. Here at Tribe Sober, we encourage this journey of self-discovery by offering our members many different types of activities and therapies to try out. Autumn is about release and refine. After the self-discovery journey, we can drop what we don't need. And this might be the period when we review our friendship circle and drop some of those old drinking buddies. Winter is about rest and rebirth. The farmer's empty field represents the death of alcohol. And just like the farmer looking at his field, we must have faith that something wonderful will be able to grow there. I love this journey that Kate and Mandy have plotted. It's so much more exciting than the Groundhog Day that our drinking puts us in because we actually get to evolve in our lives rather than staying stuck in the same place. Love Your Sober Year is about capturing the gifts and the challenges of each season, about adjusting our self-care and tools so that we thrive in each season. These days, Kate sees self-care as self-leadership. As she says, it's so empowering when we can meet our own needs. She talked about the value of journaling, how it's actually about gathering intel. Set your intentions in your journal and then reflect on what's working and adjust accordingly. Her book includes really nice journal prompts. Kate's advice to people worried about their drinking is to join a sober community and get some knowledge. Start working on a mind shift so that you see alcohol differently. At Tribe Sober, we like to tell people who are worried about their drinking that they don't actually have a problem. They have an opportunity. An opportunity to ditch the booze and improve their health, increase their happiness and change their lives in a way they cannot even imagine. Kate mentioned her three-month group coaching course, which is starting soon. I'll put the link to that course in the show notes. And her book is called Love Your Sober Year by Kate Bailey and Mandy Manners, and it's available at Amazon. So let me end with a member message from one of our chat rooms. This one's from Roman in Stockholm. This weekend, I had my MBA school reunion. 10 years after graduation. I felt great doing it alcohol-free and have time and energy to talk to everyone and stay awake until late, going to bed with a clean head and warm feelings from the authentic meetings. I don't mind my former classmates drinking. It's my own authenticity and my own feelings that are important. 
in January, I start a new job. And while interviewing, I got a question about my alcohol and drug habits. My new company is randomly testing all employees as they are in public transport and have safety as a priority. I felt so proud telling my future boss I do not drink alcohol at all. Thank you, Tribe Sober. Well, thank you, Roman. It's been wonderful watching your progress and seeing you thrive in your sobriety. So I'll be back next Saturday for our birthday edition. And don't forget that the code BIRTHDAY2022 is live right now. So you can claim your 20% discount on annual membership and or the Kickstart online course. Just go to tribesober.com and you'll find all the info. Or if you prefer, message me at janet at tribesober.com. Thanks so much for listening. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.